evening, everybody. Welcome to this ADI webinar, the theme for today is Design for Economic Resurgence. My name is Suresh Venkat. I'll be the moderator for today's webinar. The discussion will last about 45 minutes, followed by Q&A. Let me first introduce our speakers. We have Ashwini Deshpande, co-founder Elephant Design. Hi, Ashwini. We have Sonia Manchanda, founding partner, Spread Design and Innovation. Hi, Sonia. Hi. Biju Kurian, former CEO, Lifestyle and Reliance Retail and strategic partner with El Caterton. Jacob Matthew, co-founder, Idiom Design and CEO at Industry Foundation. And we have Michael Foley joining us, president of ADI Bangalore. So let's dive into the discussion. Biju, uh, first question for you. So yep. John Templeton, a financial wizard, once said that the four most dangerous words in business are this time it's different. My question to you is, is it different this time? Is the COVID lockdown different from what you've seen before? Well, uh, every situation is different. And I think uh, uh, if you were to compare it to major economic events, you probably compare it to maybe SARS 2002, you'd compare it to global financial crisis 2008-9, etc. So what you're seeing at this point of time is SARS was just a medical problem localized. Mm -hmm. It never really affected the rest of the world. If you look at the global financial crisis, it was an economic crisis emanating out of the, the mortgage crisis in the U.S. And then because the U.S. has got its tentacles, uh, financial tentacles in every part of the world, it then spread to the rest of the world. What you're seeing here is firstly uh, a major health crisis. And this has now affected 175 countries across the world. So it's pretty much no country is immune from the effects of COVID. Now, what we are going to see ahead of this is going to be a major economic crisis. Because what is happening in the health crisis is not that the numbers of people who are dying are so many uh, compared to many of the other you know, uh, epidemics that you might have. But this epidemic is translated to, to a pandemic because it's moving across the world. And when you look at the only way to be able to control it, which is in terms of you know, either finding a cure or finding a vaccine, what we are seeing here is that there is no cure at this point of time. Everybody is shooting in the dark. Somebody is using you know, anti-malarial drugs. Somebody else is using naturopathy, etc. So there is no cure and there is no vaccine as yet. And because there is no cure and there's no vaccine, people are afraid to be able to come out. And the only way which seems to stem the spread is by locking people down. So when you lock people down, then you're actually closing down countries, you're closing down companies, you're closing down industries. And when you do that, then you set off in motion an economic catastrophe. And what we are going to see after this will be the economic catastrophe. So if I were to go back to your question, Suresh, you know, when you talk about it, it is different because what we are only seeing is the first part, which is a, a pandemic and following this is going to be an economic catastrophe, unlike in most other cases where it was purely an economic catastrophe. That is why it's going to be different this time. Biju, those are strong words. Economic catastrophe. Should we take those words to mean literally what uh, they, they sound like? Yeah, right. it should certainly mean. So what you're seeing as of now is a high level of unemployment in the U.S., which is probably one of the few countries where unemployment is measured in a fairly good way. And uh, it's roughly about 20 million people who are currently unemployed, which is, you know, roughly about... 14 to 15% of the U.S. workforce. Uh, the second part of what you're going to be seeing is that when companies close, uh, the amount of uh, money that the government has to be able to pay out to make sure that people have money in their wallets so that they can buy food 
is going to be catastrophic. So that is where you're going to be having a challenge. Uh, and we will see it in different forms in different countries, depending on the economic condition of that particular country. And we will certainly see a lot of it in India too. All right, let's bring the audience in. We have about 350 people participating right now. The first poll question is, is will the COVID pandemic permanently change the way you live and work? Is this a temporary phase? Will everything snap back to normal? Or is this going to change your life permanently? All right, so 50% says yes, this will permanently change the way we live and work. 10% say no. And 39% say both yes and no. So obviously it's a complicated question with a complicated answer. All right, next question for you, Jacob. You work in what's called the creative manufacturing sector, what we commonly refer to as uh, the craft industry or the handicraft industry. What role do you see for designers in helping rebuild this particular sector? How badly is it damaged and what do we need to do? Right now, the sector is in um, dire straits because it has always been an underserved, underrepresented uh, sector. Um, our attempts at calling it creative manufacturing is one of those attempts to make it more recognized. Uh, as far as role of designers go, I would say there are three things. One is uh, what we did in the past as designers. And I would venture to say that we are complicit with business and politics in creating the mess that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. So designers are actually part of uh, the problem. We have created the problem through methods of packaging, of uh, profit before anything else. And uh, we've actually, if anything, propagated what we call defuturing of the planet of human beings. So I think we have a lot to answer for. The second part is what can we do now that we are in a crisis mode? And that's where, uh, I mean, designers have the ability to work in emergent situations, and that's a special skill that we have. So uh, we actually thrive in situations like this, where the ground rules are being changed, the goalpost is being shifted by the minute. So our ability to deal with situations which are dynamic, that is something that has to come to the fore right now. And uh, again, thanks to our track record, perhaps we are not taken seriously enough. So we have to work very hard in making sure that we are heard. And when we are heard, we actually come up with actionable uh, things, not uh, blue sky ideas. The third part is what designers can do for the future. And I think this is a huge opportunity. So uh, that poll is a little worrying for me because uh, I expect that a good number of the people in the poll were designers. Mm -hmm. And if designers, only 50% of designers think that we could slip back into, um, what was there before the crisis, then that doesn't speak too well for our future mm -hmm. as humanity. Okay, strong words once again. Defuturing the planet is my takeaway from what Jacob said. On that note, the next question for Ashwini. Ashwini, are companies going to see the role of design differently? Will CSR spending patterns permanently change after this? Yeah, I think CSR is, is a very, very powerful tool that corporates have had for a long time. But uh, I have always seen all the CSR projects going towards uh, almost like a charitable cause. Mm -hmm. So most corporates would look at us and them. So it would be like a sympathy or oh, they don't have something so we can provide something. I think that uh, sort of way of looking at the underserved them and us is going to change permanently. Because honestly now everybody who was saying us and them is underserved. So for the first time, I think everybody within the corporates is experiencing what is being underserved. I think all of us are underserved. 
so i mean yes if we don't get our wifi properly we feel underserved so yeah. that's the degree of underserved uh, we are tolerant with and now today it's very different right so i think from sympathy to empathy is a big jump that most corporates should be doing from now on and i i i'm just hoping that none of these projects moving forward will be like charitable causes they'll actually make some real difference uh, i heard something very interesting the other day that um, you know when we all prepare for the future uh, there are a whole lot of probabilities and we try and prepare for what seems most probable and strangely right now what we are living through is something that was not really considered most probable so we have not been prepared for it so i think maybe even some of the csr efforts or any other efforts would be towards something that is not highly probable probable all the same and how do we build solutions for those so the moment solutions word comes in i think designers have a role to play and uh, similarly i think designers though they believe they've always had empathy uh, probably they have also not had the degree of empathy that they may have now onwards so i think everything will change you saw the poll results just now about whether covid will permanently change the way of life for us and you saw the design community respond how do you think the corporate community is going to respond to this ashwini will life I, change permanently for them or will it I'm, go back i'm to i'm i'm assuming i'm assuming and hoping that not just corporates for all of us uh, life is going to change and if we are in denial i think then nobody can help us Sonia Jacob uh, said in one of the three points that he made that uh, designers are not taken seriously enough by corporates, for instance, or by governments, for instance. Uh, now, this uh, pandemic and the lockdown does this present a sudden opportunity for designers to become strategic partners? Will corporates reach out and say, "Okay, we've tried everything. Can you help us solve this problem?" So, designers have been and are strategic partners. So, we have to stop uh, assuming that one day they will be. Mm -hmm. It's a role you. and we have to define that role so um um you know that visual in uh, modern times with charlie chaplin where he's been swallowed by the machine yeah <laughs> yeah that's the moment that most corporates are in you know they're like stuck in this machine which is a machine of their own making you know and it makes them very vulnerable they don't know what to do because they're in the middle of that machine that's where now is our opportunity to actually step back you know to help them make sense of these shifts things have changed they're never coming back so as designers first of all we have to accept that things are never coming back to normal right and we have to be the ones helping them make sense of the shifts that are going on these are gales of creative destruction that are going to change every industry you know but adversity is the time for creativity and that's the moment we are in so we can start with i mean just the fundamentals of design research understand the shifts very quickly you know for instance i've done a piece around now after later and it was just a reflective piece and it's getting a lot of feedback from different people it's just let's move forward and reflect on don't know when is after when is later but it, let's at least start thinking forward let's not be rigid and stuck in the middle of that machine as designers we have the flexibility and when we do that we can then sort of after we do that research bit you know we can help them um sort of help with fundamentals like reconnect go back reconnect with your consumers don't be so caught up with yourself and this is the time for truth we have a funny statement in spread we say um tits which is think it through stupid you know <laughs> and so and now from a corporate perspective i'd say 
now corporates have to say the truth is over communicate talk to your customer tell him the truth is this this is what's happening tell your employees what the truth is mm -hmm. now's the time to drop all that jargon i mean you're not in your fancy suit you know we've got to come back to the basis it's a time for truth you know and and that's where we can play a role we can now finally say we've got a voice and we we can help with this uh, we can help reimagine tomorrow you know there's always an opportunity around every problem we can always help reimagine what's next and that's the role we need to because uh, you can't do that you can't renew you can't regrow unless you can't regenerate unless you start to reimagine at this very moment taking off from here and not remain stuck in that moment all right let me end this segment of the discussion with my last question to biju who's smiling curiously at the four designers surrounding him yeah <laughs> biju you've held various corporate leadership roles uh, at titan at reliance retail at lifestyle and now as a venture capitalist simply put why don't corporates take design serious i know you do so don't answer for yourself i know you take design seriously why don't corporates take design seriously now See, I think uh, you know when you when you look at it today, uh, design design and designers are a part of what you might define as the solutions engineering. When you talk about solutions engineering, you're talking about technology, you're talking about usability, you're talking about design, and you're talking about inculcating this as a habit. So what tends to happen is that for for long, designers have always been seen as those who either be in product design or graphic design, but never part of the larger solution with a few exceptions so i think what what will need is that when you look at the time ahead and you know come maybe september uh, and then beyond it what you will begin to see is that companies will be desperate in terms of growth because the market would have come would have dropped in terms of uh, customer inflows the revenues would have come down and companies will be looking for newer and newer ways of being able to get out of the rut that they are in and when they have to do that you know they have to turn around and do something which is going to be dramatically different from what they've done in the past let's take one one particular category say like let's say for example the apparel category the apparel category for too long has been stuck in this old mold of 2c which is the automated season the spring summer collection and what tends to happen is that they have a a standard lead time which is anywhere from 3 months to 8 months depending on the company and there is a process that they follow to be able to come into that season now as far as i can remember for the last 30 or 40 years this process has not changed but what will happen in situations such as this is that as sonia was mentioning when you're desperate and driven to the driven to the wall you will start looking for newer and newer ways of doing the things you've done in the past and that's where for example you know uh, specialities and functions such as design can come in wade in and become part of the larger solution rather than merely being a support function you know so i i kind of echo what sonia is saying which is that unless you get mainstream unless you begun to see as part of the solution unless you're able to come in you know and one of the things that are, which is happening today is the fact that the the use of digital technologies and the the and this entire episode is actually going to catalyze use of digital technologies that's going to actually you know gallop and if that happens how is it that we can get designed to be able to incorporate digital technologies in terms of solutions which can then be presented to to companies as being a effective way of being able to getting them out of the rut that they are in so it's a much larger objective that they need to serve 
Jacob Bijou used the word larger solution three times in his answer. My question to you is, what is the larger problem? He said, graphic design okay, apparel design okay, product design okay. You guys are solution engineers or solution designers in those areas, but you're not part of the larger solution. In your view, what is the larger problem that we are not part of? How did we get here in the first place, and what do we have to do to get out of it? Get out of here. Um, I can I can just bring this in relationship to the craft sector because I think there are lessons to be taken out from the craft sector. So if you look at um, I mean just just building on that earlier thread that I talked about uh, defuturing uh, of uh, human society, um, when you look at the craft sector, the craft sector is able is able to um, it has a much lower capital to employment ratio than any other sector. So the amount of capital investment that you have to uh, do uh, to create employment is very low. Probably has the lowest energy footprint, maybe second to agriculture, I mean primary farming, because they're the they're sunlight and nature does most of the work. Um, there's a lot of use of local natural materials. Often these materials sequester more carbon than it releases. So if you actually look at it, this is one sector which is sort of naturally regenerating. No, it by by mm -hmm. it's intrinsically regenerating. It mm -hmm. um, puts out, it holds back most of the bad stuff and puts out more of the good stuff. If if you were to call it that, it stabilizes incomes. It sort of reduces uh, migration. And right now, if you see what India has gone through, yeah. is the horrendous migration yeah. migration. Now, if jobs could be created where people live, instead of taking people to where the the jobs live. Mm -hmm. It sort of needs flipping. So when you talk about larger solutions, I believe this is one of the larger solutions. Uh, some years ago, there was a conference in, uh, organized by the European Union where the ending statement was that the future is handmade. And uh, you know, I endorse that statement. The other thing is that if you look at the production workforce, it's largely women. And when you know what happens when women work, when women earn, Mm -hmm. Society develops, families develop. Mm -hmm. um, and there is something about this sector that sort of connects uh, human beings to their humanity. Mm -hmm. When you see something handmade, well, it's very difficult to fall in love with your iPhone. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But it's a lot easier to fall in love, let's say, with a rock that, uh, you know, that you can hold properly or a, you know, a handcrafted object. So there's something about this, the imperfection, the amount of skill and feeling that has gone into the object. And I think it will lead to people wanting to own less things rather than more things. All right. This is another fundamental shift that has to happen. We are in a crazily consumerist uh, society. We end up buying crap that we don't want. And a lot of people spend a lot of time convincing us to buy the crap. Right. So if you look at what, we, what energies are being directed at, it is uh, not to very good use. Right. And I think this is something that connects us back. All right. Scathing indictment of the entire capitalist world from Jacob. It's time for our second poll. If we can fire the second poll. Uh, the question is, do you see design playing a key role in the economic resurgence? That's what this discussion is all about. You have three options. Yes, no. And the third answer is yes, but only with serious changes in government policy. All right. So. Uh, 
quite an optimistic result for the poll. Design 54% says that design is going to make a player key role in the resurgence. 7% says no. And 39% says yes, but with a caveat. This brings us to the second part of our discussion, which is called design and the policy response. Let's start with Sonia. Sonia, what kind of response would you like to see from the government? So, um, I, I'll ask you, building on your last question, that this whole, are we part of, or is design a part of change? The larger change that we wish to see. We, we step out and our cities look bombed. I mean, when I drive in, out in Bangalore now, it, it looks bombed. It's like, you know, something bad happened here. Uh, look at the state of the cities. So are we part of change? Whereas actually, now's a moment, and it's never happened before, where everyone's come together. And everybody's listening. You have the ears of the nation. You know, we've always had freedom without responsibility in our country. For once, we are taking some responsibility. At least we're not going out. At least we're not interacting. And we've learned to respond. How can we use this moment well? And uh, when every sphere is changing, our social space is changing, our workspace is changing, um, our the larger the, the city, state, uh, everything's changing, right? So in this moment, uh, very quickly, we can get the government to use design as a resource. We don't need any great policies here. We just need to start using design as a resource at every level. It's like the sugar you need to make things sweeter right now. And uh, because we can help respond, so be it designed for behavior change. You know, if we, if we need certain behaviors changed, um, in all of those areas, design can come in and actually be a great uh, enabler of that response and to be able to change things around. And that's the way across sectors, um, the education sector needs radical change. All our children are studying from home. What, what will happen to that? How will that change very quickly? So I, don't, I can't see any level where, uh, be it the health sector, the IT sector, where we don't need design. If we have moments like this where we are interacting, how can we interact better? How can the human experience be better? Yeah, I'm just going to interrupt you. What do you think the government should do to do to, to enable design to uh, bring about these? You've got vehicles like the India Design Council. You've got vehicles like your Design for India at the NASCOM level. Use these vehicles. The UN is asking for designers to respond. Let's get designers to respond at every level and bring about change across every sector. It goes back to reimagining. It goes back to being able to, you know, reframe everything right now. And we can play that role to actually be able to do design for change. We, change is required at this moment and that's the role design can play. And that's all they need to do is bring it up um, through competitions, through these various vehicles, engage the talent that is already available in the country to bring about change at every level. Jacob, you at industry have launched an initiative called Business Not As Usual. What is this? What does this mean for your craft and creative manufacturing community? Again, it comes to this, uh, the first poll. Will things change drastically after COVID or will we go back to uh, life as usual? Um, our, our response to COVID was to launch what we call a 3L uh, kind of uh, movement. One was, the first one was I mean, lives. How do you save lives? How do you stay alive? And... Uh, uh, you know, how do you protect yourself in your community? So, you know, we organized our, um, all our artisans, the ones who work with us, 
into call circles that we touch once a day. Every day there's somebody who calls everybody in, within our group. So right now it's about 600 people uh, in rural Tamil Nadu. What's very interesting is that during these call circles, what we are finding is that when women are given agency uh, and empowerment in a sense, they start looking out for other people. So while we have not received too many calls saying that, look, I don't have food or something, they're saying that there are other people in my locality who don't have food. Is there a way that we can help them? Um, I think when you get into this kind of, you know, handmade, uh, more intimate kind of uh, economies, um, we create a sort of a kinder paradigm of economic development. Okay? Um, the other thing that we've been looking at is what we call livelihoods. How do you continue to earn here? Uh, we have a small work group in uh, Ethiopia that is currently making uh, masks for the local government and the local community there. Uh, all the people who are working in the unit have volunteered to work there. Uh, if they sat at home, they would earn almost as much. There's a small incentive to come for them to come to work. A few days ago, the president of the region visited the unit because he, he heard about this and he came to see what, who are these people who are doing this. So I think when you have these empowered creative manufacturing um, sort of units, you know, some kind of magic uh, does happen. Now, third L is what we call life after COVID-19. And that is where we say we cannot go back to business as usual. You know, this is an opportunity to change the, uh, the basic capitalist economic paradigm. And where we're saying we still remain capitalist. It is about um, being economically sustainable, but economically sustainable, having lives with purpose, meaning, and connection uh, to one another. And we can see this happening almost every day because especially when you have a crisis like this, it can bring out the worst behavior in people, but it also brings out the best behavior in people. And we are seeing that a lot of good behavior is sort of uh, surfacing here. So for us, the imperative is that we can't go back to where we were before this crisis. Uh, this very fact that everybody is touched every day, mm -hmm. we are getting an outpouring of actually uh, design solutions from the artisans. Mm -hmm. So we've had about five or six things from artisans and artisans' children on how to make masks at home, for example. Mm -hmm. They've been sending us uh, little videos and uh, even a PPT. We got a PPT from the child of one of the artisans. Mm -hmm. How to make a, a mask at home. Ashwini, uh, you work, you're working with startups against COVID and the government of Maharashtra. What has your experience been working with the startup community and the government? Yeah, so before that, I just want to go back to the poll. Okay. Because I think the poll was answered by designers. Okay. But what if it was to be answered by doctors or marketeers or financiers mm -hmm. or I don't know what would be the answer. Mm -hmm. So I think let's not be sort of in this uh, bubble that designers are going to change everything. Mm -hmm. you know, we have to work together with so many other kinds of people with so many other expertise that they bring in. Uh, that I think it will be a myth to say that yes, designers can change everything and improve everything and so on. So I, I have a basic discomfort with so many designers feeling that we can do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is... Uh, you know, there was this uh, Twitter meme that was doing the rounds some time back. Uh, flight attendant says, uh, is there a doctor on board? And uh, dad says, not asking for designers, are they? Uh, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are designers. Let's just remember how much we can do and what we can do and let's do that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we try and go beyond that, uh, it, it sort of serves nobody nowhere. Uh, 
so coming back to this uh, this phase that we found ourselves in uh, the first thing we did the moment this uh, crisis happened and the lockdown happened we moved home and started working from home is to reach out all our networks and uh, sort of opened ourselves out and said that we are here if you are doing anything in in this space in the space of helping uh, this situation uh, and you think design intervention can help we are open so just reach out so that is the first thing we did the day we started working from home and uh, sure enough within 24 hours we were approached by somebody who was coordinating a set of uh, group of entrepreneurs tech entrepreneurs who are establishing a platform for telemedicine uh, and interestingly this uh, telemedicine has just got legal because of this situation mm-hmm. and uh, the moment that happened uh, this group sort of put up the platform a very robust one and they were piloting it already in karnataka and punjab and they said we want to do it for maharashtra and can you help us create something with this because we need to go to the government and say this is what we are doing uh, so i think almost overnight we created uh, we call it covid madad because we wanted it to be as simple and basic and accessible and ready as possible and uh, we created a lot of communication the first level of communication had to be to the doctors to say come join this platform and be the volunteers because uh, telemedicine will work only if you have enough doctors uh the second level of course was to reach out to people and say that uh, you know there is a few doctors in that case thousands of doctors already have by the way volunteered uh that doctors are available waiting on call and you could just reach out to them and ask whatever it is that you want to ask and medicine online is legal now so just go ahead and use that third thing had to be to tell doctors what is the sop and then fourth thing of course was to go to the government and say this is what has been created and Uh, we need your support or we need you to endorse it because you need it as a government you need to launch it so all of this was a high highly collaborative if uh, effort and it was not just the startups uh, but there were doctors involved and there were investors involved and there was uh, elephant team and we sort of worked seamlessly almost within i think 48 hours we could approach uh, the state government and uh, one little interesting anecdote our our uh, chief minister in maharashtra is uh, an art school graduate so he knows his fonts oh that's good <laughs> so anyways i mean that's just uh, aside but yeah that's how it happened and uh, he's fairly proactive so he actually adopted it and uh, several government agencies adopted it and it's uh, sort of promoted all over and i think more than 20000 doctors have signed up and uh, yeah so it goes so i think this is exactly the role of design to sort of come together among many and you know plug a piece that we are really good at i think that's that's what i would always like to look at what is the piece that we can plug i think right. you don't have to always do the whole universe that is a perfect segue for our next poll poll number 3 has the covid pandemic changed the way you see design and its role in society taking off from what ashwini said yes it has no it hasn't and of course the third option is it's complicated okay ashwini overwhelming 59% agrees with you that the pandemic has changed the way they see design in society 15% says no and 26% as you can see says it's complicated which brings us to biju uh biju there are clearly environmental benefits to shutting down the world business and traffic for a few weeks we're getting stories of birds chirping and dolphins reappearing in the bombay seas which i'm fairly certain are fake videos uh and air quality index improving in delhi and noida lots of benefits do you think business could you would use this as an opportunity to appeal to what and i take this from jacob to what is called the greta thunberg generation that 
business can be responsible as well in helping the environment clean itself up? So I think uh, even for business to be responsible, they should begin to start seeing this as a value that consumers hold dear to them. And what you're beginning to see today is that there is a dawning realization amongst people that you could obviously do with a lot less than you've been used to in the past. That you can actually, a lot of the stuff that you otherwise were spending your money on in terms of discretionary income is stuff that is completely useless and not part of your requirement. And, and in several ways, what is also beginning to happen is this will finally permeate in terms of consumer behavior over a period of time. And if that becomes a strong enough trend, then companies will start recognizing this as a point of difference and then look for ways and means in which they can actually incorporate that into their communication, whether it be brand or corporate, and then see how they can make a difference to the people. And also, you know, kind of anchor upon a larger trend that might be, you know, relevant at that point of time. Just going back to what Ashwini said, I just wanted to share one example. Being a product of management school, and like us, like me, there were several others who are all alumni of several management schools in Bangalore. And when we first started off by when the lockdown happened and we were all confined to our homes, we suddenly realized that, you know, we've got a lot more time and we're not running around chasing our tails. And if you were to really compartmentalize your life in terms of what is important, what is not important, then you actually have a lot of spare time. And we said, what do we do with our spare time? And we said that, you know, let's try and figure out if we can be a part of the solution. And we identified two very vulnerable segments. One is the migrant labor, and the second is the urban poor. And we said, is there a way in which we can try and assist the migrant labor and the urban poor? And we debated two, two options. We said either provide them food, or we actually provide them rations. And since a lot of us have got investments in food companies and restaurants, et cetera, we said that, you know, the kitchens are anyway closed and there is a good way for them to be able to make sure that they can produce food out of the kitchens and we can distribute it. But then we realize that in the long run, that's going to be a bit difficult because you've got to provide at least two meals a day, lunch and dinner. And in many of these homes, there are small children and it's very difficult for them to be just living on a lunch and dinner because they also need some things in between. So we said it's better to look at it from a dry rations principle. And long story short, we kind of set out on a, on, a, on a campaign to be able to raise money. And I can tell you the role that the communications designer and the graphics designer played in terms of being able to get this message out digitally to a large group of people and encourage them to actually donate to a cause which they didn't even know about, but they were only being confident about the fact that it's being run by a bunch of people and hopefully it will have certain ethics and values and will not actually you know, be a profiteering exercise. And we managed to raise initially from you know, a lot of people and close to about 60 lakhs. And then of course, a few foundations hearing about it came on and then they decided to support it. And, then, and we started off with a very... Uh, uh, let's say what we thought was an ambitious target of a thousand families to whom we could distribute per day, but it's now currently ticking at about between two and a half to three thousand, depending on how we are able to do three thousand families per day, which is roughly about twelve to fifteen thousand individuals who are benefiting from this. 
Now, if you ask me, am I in the NGO space? No. Am I somebody who's done this before? No. I mean, this group of people who are there in trying to do this, are they in the space? No. All that they've done is that they've looked at NGOs who've been in the forefront of doing this in terms of raising money and who are working with these segments of society. And they've also looked at NGOs who work very closely because you also have to ensure distribution is done mm -hmm. in the right way and it doesn't finally go into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. So all that you've done is knit together an ecosystem. And what we have seen in that whole ecosystem is that the, the first responders and the most enthusiastic, the ones who are actually cutting open 50 kilo bags of rice and repacking that into smaller 10 kilo bags of rice are actually the millennials. Because they are saying that, you know, while some of us are working from home, mm -hmm. I don't mind working double hours. I'll spend time here doing this in the distribution center and then go back and do my day job at night. And that's the way they have. So what, what, what is it that brought them? It's not that they don't have anything else to do. But there is something that they have seen and they wanted to actually contribute in, in some manner. So, you know, when you really look at it, this entire episode will give every individual and consequently, every company, the opportunity to be able to reflect on what's important and what's not important. What is valuable and what is not so valuable? What is it that we need to be focusing on and what shouldn't we focus on? What are the bad habits of the past that we need to shed and what are some new things that we have to adopt? Now, that is when companies also start beginning to see things. So. If it is unsustainable, how do you make it sustainable? If it is non-eco-friendly, how do you make it eco-friendly? If it is a process which is going to create less carbon waste, how do you adopt that as opposed to something else? If there is a better way of getting from point A to point B, then can with a lesser carbon footprint, can we do that? So those are some of the changes that you should expect to see. And when I look at designers, what I'm seeing from them is an opportunity to be able to enable this. Because stuff like this is actually, one part of it is talking about it. The second is to be able to communicate this. The third part of it is to be able to do it sustainably for a long period of time. And that is when behaviors change. And for behaviors to change, designers have a very, very important role to play. Which is why when I, when I see that there are some 39% who mentioned that the government has a role to play, I think pretty much the government has no role to play, frankly, if you ask me. I think as a community, we have a larger role to play. And we shouldn't look for the government's shoulders to fire anything from. We should try and do it ourselves. All right. Ashwini, lots of young designers tuning into this uh, webinar. For a young designer who's interested in participating in the process of this social change that Jacob spoke about, that Sonia spoke about, what's a good starting point? Firstly, I think it's very heartening to see that almost all the young designers want to do good. And they are quite focused on trying to do something which is uh, more important and for the world and for good. Uh, but what happens when, you're, when you are in that space is uh, you don't know where to begin. And the world is full of huge problems. I mean, there is every kind of problem that design actually potentially can solve. Uh, so where do you begin? So I just want to go back to uh, something that I underwent a few years ago, I think in 2008. Uh, I was a participant in a workshop uh, which was uh, held by Rockefeller Foundation for Design for Social Impact. And uh, the foundation believed that designers actually can play a very, very large role. But why is it that not many designers are doing that? And that's really what the workshop was for. And uh, all of us spent a week, 20 of us from around the world spent a week there thinking, 
what is it that we could potentially be doing where design for social impact is a real term and it's not just a lip service uh, so i came back with three pledges and i think that's uh, something i would urge most young designers or any designer who really wants to start anything in social impact to start doing something that is that suits them and i am just going to tell you quickly my three pledges that i came back with uh, first one was uh, it's it's okay to start at the backyard you know no problem is really small for solving everything that is worth solving is worth solving so don't wait for solving world hunger or world oil spills or you know mm. that size of a problem it's it's okay to solve a really so small problem and sort of sharpen your pencil to understand how design intervention can solve a problem a uh, simple example i mean as as an office located in an area called baudhan we actually help baudhan uh, nagrik manch to spread the word of uh, segregating wet and dry waste and that's a really small problem but design can solve it and why not solve it so that's the first one so start in your backyard it's it's all right to start with a small problem but just begin see where design intervention can lead uh, the second one is in any um, large corporate project it's it's interesting to find ways to piggyback on that project and find ways to create a positive social impact because i don't think intrinsically any corporate would refuse doing good so if you have a good idea uh, and if you have a project where it can be supported just propose it so anything that you do commercially keep looking for opportunities to do good and propose them and the third one is uh, that we will always do our social impact uh, through our core competency now what do i mean by that i just gave an example of communication design that we created for covid madad because communication design happens to be the core competency now my co core competency is not in let's say donating or collecting money it is not in processions it is not in you know all those activisms but core competency is design so try and solve anything that you are trying to do on social impact using your own core competency because that is likely to have the maximum impact so if it's impact that you are after then use your core competency uh, so all that's right. just my three uh, Very good points. Time for our next poll. How long will it take to bring the Indian economy back to reasonably good health or to full health? Six to twelve months, one to three years, more than three years. How optimistic or pessimistic are we? All right, reasonably optimistic. So we have sixty-four percent says one to three years we'll restore India back to the Indian economy back to full health. I don't know what that full health means. It may not be the kind of economy that Jacob is talking about—a kind of paradigm of economic growth. It might be the Harsher, ruder paradigm of economic growth that we're in. Bijou, would you agree with that finding? One to three years. Well, it depends again, as you said about uh, full health. Uh, what what I'm, you know, if you were to look at this period, which is say December, January, February, as the three months preceding the lockdown starting in March, uh, clearly that wasn't an economy in full health. that was an economy which is at subpar performance mm -hmm. so if you were to talk about an economy in full health you've got to be talking about an economy which is notching up between 7 to 8 to 8.5% in terms of continuing growth for about four quarters in a row to call it to be in good health uh, and india which is in at full health as opposed to the 4.5 to 5% that we were struggling with in the in the previous quarter so if you were to look at the time which is 1 to 3 years i certainly agree with it uh that is it is going to be between 1 to 3 years because of a variety of reasons one my own belief is that the the pandemics 
health impact on the domestic economy will probably be lesser than what you've seen it in several countries like Europe and in the US. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is that we don't really have too much of wiggle room in this economy. You know, we don't have the cash reserves that many of the other countries have in order to be able to start giving out monies to people. So if we had the cash reserve, I would have assumed that it would be closer to a year. Because we don't have the cash reserve, what will happen is that we will end up with this trickle down effect where everybody will slowly start giving a little bit of money to people. Mm -hmm. And in a, in a sense, it will just grow marginally month upon month, which is why it will take a lot longer to happen. The third is we don't have companies mm -hmm. which are of that size. You know, mm -hmm. even our largest Indian companies, whether private or, or, or government, typically don't have, you know, don't have a very well capitalized structure. So it's not that they can sit out and say that I will burn cash for a period of, let's say, three to six months while I ensure that everybody will be protected. So since we don't have companies and a lot of our industry is in the small and medium sector, what you're also likely to see is that there will be some economic impact of this on the workforce. So that you will find people losing jobs. And if people start losing jobs and if unemployment increases, then the load of the government will increase. So there are several of these factors which I think which will push India closer to the two to three year mark rather than bring it further up to the one to two year mark. So I, I have a feeling that uh, it's going to be a bit of a struggle for us. And uh, there isn't too much that we can do beyond actually grin and bear it, as you might say. <laughs> Sonia, you run a sort of design kibbutz, if I may use that word, a sort of design collective. You grow your own vegetables. You have your own community. In that sense, you've been preparing for this pandemic for quite a while now, right? creating a self-sustaining environment. Do you see more uh, designers and more businesses uh, sort of creating these bubbles, these self-sustaining ecosystems? I think um, if you look at all of us and the way we've been shifting our lives, um, we knew that the current, uh, where we're going is not sustainable. You know, but the forces in power, would they listen to us? Um, would we be accepted? We weren't really so sure of that. You know, I think a moment has come where um, a lot more of this will be accepted. We will need, we will start thinking a lot more about collective futures and we need more such communities. For instance, look at what Biju was talking about. He's not, he's not really in the space of making food and distributing it, but he's doing it now. You know, we need to sort of create this collective future and we need to come together for that. And more so now because with all of this social distance and other such um, sort of a fear mindset that's coming to us. Uh, there's, there's going to be social distress, there's going to be social distrust, and we need to build back social trust. The social networks are just going to be something which is out there, but it's not going to have any real meaning. So building that social trust is important, which needs a lot of imagination. It needs, it needs a lot of give and take. In our work, we are seeing, and you know, Having a community where people can give and take. So uh, more than the physical space, what we have is a collective. And in that collective, there is give and take. I can do something for someone and there can be a promissory note. note. That's, that's more than enough. 
you know, in that sense, I would say what I've learned from there and what I've learned, at least in my many years of design experiences, we are far more powerful than we assume. Design is a very powerful catalyst. And if at this moment we don't recognize it, we will be doing the design profession ourselves a disservice. Again, I'm going, going to go back to somebody from industry, Biju, who's right here. He said, um, from creating communication to creating ecosystems. Look at how wide that is. Mm -hmm. That's the space where we can catalyze. Mm -hmm. We ourselves, we have, we have this um, sort of reflection format which studies emergence, which is called Design Open. And we did a design open in Hyderabad at the uh, Hyderabad Design Week. We had a design open uh, in Kochi. And we found that at one level, there were uh, design strategists, leaders who were coming there. At another level, the next generation was coming. And they wanted to hear about this bigger impact that design can have. You know, and we didn't learn it. I didn't learn design strategy. I'm getting ready to teach it now. But... Um, we learned it by just doing things. You know, we opened huge stores. We, we went and designed the metro stations in Rio. You know, that's how you learn it. At this moment, designers just have to say, yes, I'm available. Reach out to me. I don't want the money. It'll come. I'm building my brand. You know, I'm, I'm demonstrating what design can do. And so, therefore, we created a space to be able to do that. A shared space to be able to create shared dreams. And, to, and for designers to be able to think much, much bigger than we allow ourselves to. Jacob, is this pandemic going to change the way design is taught in design schools? Um, it already has. Okay. Uh, because we've been running Shishti now for two Other months. Other than the obvious running Shishti on Zoom yeah. and running on video yeah, conferencing tools. You know, I think the, there are two things that seem to be emerging. Uh, one is that everybody talks about flipped classrooms and does very little about it. Um, I think in two, not even in two weeks, I think in one week we were running flipped classrooms because it was more efficient. Uh, the other thing that happened, uh, at least personally, is that um, in a class you talk a lot, in, in a class, in a face-to-face -face class, because you're constantly having feedback, you can talk till the cows come home. Right? Now, in this kind of situation, you... As an instructor, you are brief and to the point, and you actually hand over the flow to the students. So I think that is a, a, a sort of a flip, not just the flip classroom, but the role that the instructor plays and the role that the participants play are being flipped as it should be. Um, I am very curious to see what this does to the cost of education. Yep. So I run a few programs where, let's say, I want artisan children to come and uh, study. The cost of the program is about 10 lakhs in fees. But if you uh, factor in staying costs, it's 15, 20 lakhs, which no artisans uh, can afford for a three-year course. Now, with stuff going digital um, and you know, finding ways in which to teach digitally, everything is getting sort of uh, shrunk in terms of size. Uh, so bite-sized pieces of information. So uh, we are actually experimenting with education for adult learners, where the length of the instruction is, because we have to convey this on mobile phone and very often on uh, feature phones with only IVR uh, functions. Mm -hmm. Now, this is on education broadly, but I'm really curious to see how this will change uh, uh, design education. And I can see cost and I can see this entire flipping where uh, the students are in control and not the teachers. 
All right, which brings us to our final poll of the day, poll number five. Okay, what has been the biggest benefit to you personally for the lockdown? I learned to cook. That's my biggest benefit. So learn to run my own house, learn to spend time with your family, had time to reflect upon your life and afternoon naps every day. All right, a deeply philosophical uh, bunch in the audience today. Overwhelming 57% says had time to reflect upon my life. Very few people are taking afternoon naps. Good thing. Learn to run my own house. Uh, either everybody knows how to cook and clean their house or they haven't bothered or spend time with my family is 21%. Had time to reflect upon my own life. Let me go to the final question before we open it to the audience. Biju, what has been the biggest learning for you personally from this lockdown? You know, the biggest learning for me has been to, to learn to run my house. Okay. You know, we, we take for granted many things when the house is running. But when you have to run it yourself, you realize yeah. that there are several moving levers. Mm -hmm. uh, having run a retail business, I thought supply chains were complex until I came into the kitchen and discovered how much more complex it can actually be. Even, you know, compounded by the fact that, you know, between breakfast, lunch and dinner, between one day and the next, there has to be variety or people get bored. Okay. So that is how complex a supply chain can be. Uh, we have a gardener who normally comes in and waters the garden and, you know, plants, transplants, etc. And when you have to do it yourself, you realize that that's a completely different ecosystem yeah. which you take for granted. You know, because it's not just about watering, you've got to be able to recognize signs, you've got to figure out when to weed, you've got to figure out when to groom, all kinds of things. And it is almost another living ecosystem, which it is actually, but we've never paid heed to that. You know, that's the other part of it. Uh, all of us, you know, drop things around the house when you move, but when we have to clean it ourselves, you realize how we can live more responsibly and make sure that we actually learn to clean after we, after anything that we do such that, you know, the house gets less challenges in terms of maintaining. So for me, I think, you know, between all of this, learning how to run a house, plus my kids who were in the U.S., I managed to get them back here before, you know, the U.S. closed down. So we all got time to spend uh, with each other and be able to reflect on various things, uh, which was not an opportunity to get in a normal working day. All right, it's time to take a few questions. I'm going to take uh, a couple of questions. The first question, I think, is for Jacob. Uh, Adam asks, Jacob, how can designers use the principle of a sharing economy to create an alternative to the forever expansionist economic model? Biju talked about returning to 8% growth, which is, to put it crudely, the forever expansionist economic model. So how can designers, we are a small force in this giant economic engine. How can we use the principles of a sharing economy? I think uh, to some extent, Adam has already answered his own question. Mm -hmm. But... Um, for shared economies to work, uh, one is what is the value that you're presenting to future users of the same product? It's you then certainly move from a you know a use and discard uh, way of design to something that is durable, is got quality, and um, you know at some level captures the soul of the maker. Now, if you have something like that, if you're creating objects which are precious, then it's not just shared, but it's gifted. And I can see this linking back to the creative manufacturing uh, sector and the craft sector in many ways. But uh, I think that is something that you have to build in. You know, authenticity, um, the fairness in its making, and the value embedded in the product or the system that makes it worth passing forward. So, so Jacob, just to add to it, I think uh, in the book of Genesis in the Bible, Adam shared something with Eve, so as part of the sharing economy. 
and after that it's history. Second Thank question you. for Biju comes from Upen Shinoi. A uh, fairly practical question. Post-pandemic, what might change the most in consumer lifestyle and behavior? Post-pandemic, what might change the most in consumer uh, lifestyle and behavior? So education, work, travel, and uh, eating out, I think, are going to be the four most important changes which are likely to happen. The way people study and learn, as Jacob was mentioning earlier, will change and I think will change irreversibly. There are there are a lot of vested interests in the current system of education, but what we've seen over the last you know, month or so, uh, what we have witnessed is that without too much of a degradation in terms of the quality of education, you can pretty much change the way you study and which then will make education cheaper, a lot more affordable and a lot more available in the tap than what is available today. Similarly, uh, in terms of work also, you know, I'm on the board of a IT company, which has got about 25,000 people and work from home has actually been achieved with 99.4% of the staff. It is only 0.6% who've not been actually, who've not been able to work from home. All the others have been able to work from home, which then, you know, leads you to think about why do we ever need them to come to an office if they can work from home? Why do we need this, you know, this uh, armada of vehicles which are mm -hmm. transferring them all the way from their homes mm -hmm. to offices and bringing them back and clogging the roads and adding to the pollution that we have? What in case if each of them were to be told, you will get three hours extra every day when you work from home, but you have to take a 10% salary reduction for that. Mm -hmm. And will that make a big difference in terms of the entire business model, which is there? So there are several thoughts like this which can actually come in. Video conferencing, as we see today, was not something that everybody considered as a default option. And if this becomes a default option where people across are collaborating, even for live operatic performances, which requires synchronicity of a very high order, then what is it for a communication program like this where you're having a discussion? So if that happens, then will it have an implication on aviation? Will it have an implication in terms of the hospitality industry? All of us have learned to eat in our own homes for so long. And you realize that you need to actually eat out or can we actually manage with less eating out and more eating in? So there are several of these factors which I think will cause people to reflect on what they've done in the past. And in many cases, if you don't learn from this, then obviously you've come out of this pandemic without a learning experience. Sonia, next question for you comes from Mayuri Mohapatra. She says, corporates still consider design as an aesthetically driven function. That's true of a lot of corporates, not all of them, rather than a functional and problem-solving role. Is this likely to change post-COVID-19? Only if we demonstrate value. If we can understand their pain points and actually demonstrate tangible value, um, and therefore I said, there's no better time than now to demonstrate that because we have that ability to actually make them look at, uh, say, what are the assets you have within a company? Let's look at that. You know, sometimes you stop looking at that and you're, you're looking more at the problems outside. And we help them leverage those assets, communicate in new ways, um, behave like a startup and not like a big machine. And maybe come up with these tiny projects, even if you're afraid to make big changes, tiny projects. Where, where you can see uh, tangible change. So every organization is like an innovation factory. 
and they're coming up with these new ideas and they're experimenting with that because we will need to do that. It is a whole new world. We did not imagine this and but we need to now contextualize what we're doing within this. So if you can actually demonstrate outcome, it may be in small ways and scale up from there. Um, I think that is the biggest opportunity. I find, for instance, I find that my own team, I mean, working from home, we are far sharper and smarter. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Maybe we get too comfortable, we're too chatty, we're having too much fun, but we're sharper and smarter. So I'm sure all the young designers out there, they're so sharp and so smart. Uh, if you can say, hey, quickly, do you need to communicate out there? I can help you do it. Or you've got X problem, why don't we try this solution? And the same people who would, the elephants who would not be open to the change would now be willing to be the bats, which is a hybrid animal and, you know, fly upside down and do things in any which way. And we, we therefore just about can be the catalyst of that. The asking the what if question, which at this moment we need to ask. All right. Batch may not be a good reference to use in the current scenario. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> okay. Final question from the audience from Neha Thawali. This goes to Ashwini. What will be the most important skill sets for one to have in the post-COVID scenario as a designer? Uh, I think over-communication. I think how to over-communicate is one of the skills that all of us have learned. And uh, I think they are kind of pretty handy at this moment. Uh, so I think communication is the skill really to sharpen and uh, you know, make the most of. If all of us could not communicate the way we are right now, uh, we did not know how to use the right uh, expressions, the phrases, use the time well, I don't think we would be really making sense. So I think now it's more important than ever to learn to communicate for designers especially because a lot of time designers rely on what they have done rather than what they're thinking. So now is the time to think and communicate. The other thing that I, I, would, I have personally learned and I think it makes sense to me now is uh, it, it, it's okay to have errors. Mm -hmm. Perfection can wait sometimes. Now is not the time to run after perfection and you know, get that absolute final dot in place. Now is the time to make things work as they can at the best possibility. So, both a skill set and a mindset shift. Yeah. Okay, this brings us almost to the end of this discussion. I'm going to quickly summarize uh, the key highlights according to me. We started off with uh, Bijou Kurian talking about uh, health crisis leading to an economic catastrophe. And those are strong words to use and it will take the economy two to three years to recover. Jacob spoke about defuturing the planet. That's something that we have done systematically over the years. Uh, we spoke about adversity being a good time for creativity to come out. That uh, sometimes in times of crisis is when design can play a more creative role, a larger role, a strategic role. Uh, we spoke about no problem being too small or too large. I think it was Ashwini that said, start in your backyard if you need to. Fix the pothole, fix the garbage dump, fix the broken gate in the backyard. Start from there and work your way up. Jacob Matthews spoke about a kind of paradigm of economic growth, which is far removed from the current paradigm that we have, which is uh, a sort of winner-take-all mentality where the biggest economic and other gains go to the, the, to the richest people. And I think Sonia spoke about building social trust, uh, about how we need to rebuild trust again in the work-from-home world, in the new economy, in creating so-called design kibbutzes or the self-sustaining uh, bubbles that we are going to live in. 
Right. That brings us to the end of this conversation. Sonia Manchanda, Bijokurian, Jacob Matthew, Michael Foley, and Ashwini Deshpande. Thank you for all your inputs. Right. That brings us to the end. Michael, I'm going to hand it over to you for a closing note. Thank over you, to you Suresh. Thanks, uh, Suresh. I think just a quick, very, very short note on this. I think the ADI has is now looking at reinventing itself. I mean, given the challenges that exist today, I think it's kind of brought in a lot of uh, collaboration across the uh, across the country and across the chapters. And uh, we just want a lot more of this to happen. I think uh, we are pushing to get designers to join and you know join this entire community and try and create a larger impact. And if uh, there are any uh, interested individuals, entities, and organizations. We are all open to, you know, joining ADI. So please look us up and uh, join in. Thank you, everyone.